My name is Dwayne Default, and welcome to Selling SaaS, a daily podcast that's built to get you quick hits of the best advice from the top experts for go-to-market strategies, sales, and product-led growth. Now let's get into today's episode. It's really unfortunate to see how many people need the guidance and the help with so many things in their business. And when you have that conversation, like we were just talking before we started recording, like the whole thing about bringing on contractors, advisors, coaches, AVAs, agencies, when there's no like cardinal law around like how to work with each one of them. But it's crazy. Like the example we were talking about when you're bringing your experience to that situation, you would like, hey, I've seen you do this. Companies do this before. Here's the end result. And they don't like the reality of it. And then lo and behold, their account got suspended. Or close to getting suspended. They got like the alert. Yeah. And that's with a new account, it's so hard to get out of that because that means every email that you send has to be like perfect. But just it places more stress on non-existent systems, which yeah. is very hard. So back up and like walk people through what the situation was, right? So you're pushing back on a client because they wanted a specific thing, but you were like, hey, this is going to go well. So start there. You don't have to be specific on the client, but yeah, no, I think, again, when it comes to HubSpot is anybody who works in HubSpot knows they're pretty stringent with their email. And so yeah. I think I'll just speak in generalities like, and I wrote about this the other day on LinkedIn and I'm sure yeah. you see this all the time. It's the move is enter data provider, Apollo, Zoom Info, whoever it is, they don't have your best interest at heart, right? They're going to give you the data, do what you want with it, right? Like there's an assumption usually with, I would say like founder led, post founder led that this data is clean and you can just do whatever you want with it. So most people will do one of two things. One, they'll start their sales team like, hey, go do outreach to this. Then you'll have what I see a lot of is just somebody in the marketing role that doesn't know the technicalities around email, right? Like they're great mm-hmm. and strategically great at messaging, branding, and maybe putting all the pieces together. But they'll say, hey, let's take a, this list from Apollo. Let's push it into HubSpot. Again, 10,000 people. Let's not check deliverability, right? Let's not validate it. Send it out. And what happens is HubSpot is going to flag that. And yeah. it's going, either your account's going to get suspended or it's going to get flagged for suspension, which means you're basically working yourself out of a hole So I have to have a lot of tough conversations with clients because they want to do things quickly. And Dwayne, some of you've talked about so much is like the pressure, right? Like five years ago, you would have like three years and then you would have like two years. And then it's like the moment you have a sniff of product market fit, it's like all systems go and people don't want to hear. People just don't want to hear it. And so when somebody hires you, look, I'll use an existing client. I same thing, same thing that we just talked about. This is an enterprise client very stringent on their security, right? Like enterprise security, like single sign-on, whole nine. I had to send an email and basically I did the same thing. I ran their list through Neverbounce, can use a bunch of different tools, 24% bounce rates. I had to email the sales team and basically say like, hey, if you send this, you could take down your whole domain and I will not be held responsible, right? Like, because again, this is an enterprise company, right? It's the biggest company that I work with. Like, it's not like I work with all enterprise kind of a break I got in there, but it's not just their like business at stake. It's our reputation, right? As like consultants, like if you do this, like, and I willingly let you do it, I've just given away the thing that's most important to me, which is my credibility. Yeah. And so it's an interesting topic because as consultants, agencies, whatever you want to call it, it's like we're being hired for our experience and our capabilities in a particular subject. And if people choose not to listen to that, 
And, and then they still end up pointing the finger like, oh, we used the people over at Shape and Scale and this result didn't come up. But they failed to communicate the fact that they didn't listen yeah. <laughs> and do the things that we you advise them to do. So in that scenario, a 24% bounce rate on that particular company or the domain, right? So what were the things that they were doing? Would they, so they got a list from Zoom Info or Apollo and then did they just upload that list directly into HubSpot? Well, yeah, I think like you'll probably see there's usually a mandate, right? Like there's a mandate and that mandate always ha- is time time bound, right? So there's like mm-hmm. some time bound mandate, like we got to do X in Y number of days. And yeah. that leads to a breakdown in protocol. And it's really up to either an ops person, right? Like just if you think about internally at a company, who's going to have the wherewithal to really understand and keep up to date with all the things going on with the email deliverability. So it's either an ops person, it's either your super admin, or it's a consultant or an agency that is going to be able to have the right mm-hmm. that where it's like hey it's not that i'm not trying to do this like i've been in agencies 15 years deadlines like that doesn't concern me but doing the right thing does yeah. and so i just see it a lot i saw it with another client i, I don't think it went like right. what are the things that people can do so speaking of email deliverability right i know you guys do a lot of other stuff than that on the topic of cold email and outreach and people thinking that's dying off and going away i, I really don't think so it's just you need to get better at it because there's like two sides that you've got to pay attention to when it comes to or three sides really on cold email, but it's like you've got, from my understanding, you have the lists kind of validation where you've got to take your list of 10,000 people that you got from like a seamless or Apollo or Zoom Info and you have to run that through a list to make sure they're all valid. So that's yeah. like step one, I would assume. Yeah. yeah, step one. And then when it comes to the email domain you're sending from, so you said something a minute ago where sending from your primary domain. So what are the best practices for people when yeah. reaching out, doing cold email campaigns? Like, what do they need to be doing? Yeah, there's a lot there. I think the first thing is, yeah, using some type of validation tool. I use Neverbounce because I've been using it for a long time. If you're a HubSpot user, you can integrate it, right? So it's like integrated into HubSpot and it can just clean your list. The Hmm. biggest thing there is just getting the bounce rate down. Like, again, let's say you have a list of 200 people and 10 of those bounce, your bounce rate is going to be really high. And that is going to flag HubSpot as an email service provider to say like, hey guys, you got to get this in order or else we're going to suspend the account, right? You want to have that bounce rate, in my opinion, underneath 3%. They'll mm-hmm. tell you it's like 4 but that's the first thing you can do. And you can do that a lot of different ways. Again, never bounce, I think, is easiest. The second is, and I know you know this pretty well, but like when we think about email, there's the top level domain. So shapeandscale.co. If you are sending from that, usually what I do is you can run like MX Toolbox. I do a Glock Apps test. You sent me one the other day that was really good. But that's where you just look at the technical aspects like DMARC. There's other ones which are escaping me right now. But that's just making sure that your email is set up so when you send an email, it knows it's it's not phishing, right? Like there's yeah. just like these checks and balances it does. And so you can test that if you're sending any type of outbound to people that have not explicitly signed up to receive communications from you, always want to create some type of like subdomain, right? And email pros, I got Guy Harris Kenny. I don't know if you met him. He's been working on a solution for HubSpot through a tool called Smart Lead AI, where you send through Smart Lead AI, get all the details in HubSpot. Story for another day, but you need some kind of mechanism to automate 
automate that process where you can have multiple domains, you can yeah. automate like sending optimal sending times, warming up your inbox. So that usually means like, hey, a lot of these tools will send your emails to like friendly email inboxes where they click, drag it over to your priority and do all that stuff. Yeah. All that stuff works in concert. So why do you want to do a warm up process though? Like I, I know, but it's like, I feel like there's a lot of stuff being always talked about when it comes to cold outreach on social media, but there's nothing really talked about when it comes to the things we're doing right now, which is like the technical perspective and setup. Like what is the, an email domain warm up and how long should people do it? Yeah, that's a good question. So the warm up process usually looks like, and it's, I'm getting a little bit out of my depth here, but like most will start with 20 to 25 emails. And I think it's like every two or three days it will increase. I'd have to get back to you on that, like escaping me at the moment. But just the idea of warming up your inbox is if you send a thousand emails from a cold inbox that just hasn't been around, spam filters yeah. gotten so advanced, they're going to flag that. And like, honestly, I even see this just when you think about sending from just like your, even if you're sending out to people that have opted in, yeah. like, and you had a thousand emails to send, I would always stagger that, right? Like I'd usually recommend clients stagger a thousand people over like a four day period, right? Yeah. Like. I would just break that up. I think it's just good email hygiene. What a warm up process does is it takes like a new email domain. And that's not to say like selling SaaS, for example. Selling SaaS is the domain. We're not yeah. talking about like Dwayne at selling SaaS or hello at selling SaaS. That's just the email sender. Yep. It's you're warming up the actual domain itself, regardless of who it's coming from. The email provider you're sending to is looking at the history of that specific domain and the emails that have come from that. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing you got to think about. Like you've got the domain score, but then you've got individual sender scores. And I think, I know you and I have talked about this, but the individual sender score is problematic when you've got a team of, this is your realm, not as much mine. But like when you've got a team of 10 SDRs, carpet bombing Zoom info list from your main, and they've got the bounce rates high, there's no relevancy. There's just, how often do we see this? That is where you run into problems. And yeah. in HubSpot, you can see your sender score for individual SDRs. It's a hidden report. But I'm telling you, nine times out of 10, when we run that, we just see bad stuff, right? And that's problematic because then the SDR gets blamed because they're not hitting their numbers. But guess what? They can't even get the... So like, again, you're only as good as your systems. And if your systems aren't put in place to like support the SDR, which honestly, nine times out of 10, it never is. Again, and I'm somebody coming from marketing that's immersed myself in sales, but as much as I can, I'm like, help these people help themselves. It's just, it's yeah. not fair. It's just not fair. Technical world now where we've got to have more technical capabilities and know-how on not even just marketing, but on sales, like you were saying, because they have to play off of each other. And so if, if the SDRs are given quota a, a responsibility to go and reach out, if their domain, if their email status and email credit number score is not set up correctly, then you're doing your outbound team a massive disservice that they don't even know is happening because they, they're not email professionals. And so it's just, and pivoting a little bit to the topic you just mentioned of like having your system set up, like, and we were riffing on this before we started recording, like the need and importance to design your like infrastructure for your go-to-market stuff. Like how important is it to take more time to do that rather than just jumping in and uploading lists and going like, where have you found that happy medium when working with clients? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a really good question. I had a post today on LinkedIn just called the fog of ASAP because like everybody's like, hey, I need this as soon as possible. It's like, and I've had multiple posts on this and we've talked about it a ton, but like everybody wants reporting, but they don't want to do the work to get reports. They don't want to do the work to get the accurate data to get to the reports. Like yeah. I salespeople not tracking activity, right? Okay. What are we going to do with that? How are we going to correct anything? Like not clearly defining your conversion points on your website, right? Mm-hmm. Like not clearly defining your deal pipeline and HubSpot, not clearly defining your life cycle stages in the HubSpot and understand yeah. how they move from one to one. You can't do it. If you and I got HubSpot today and we set it up, right? Just out of the box, we ran six months of work in it. If you don't, have mechanisms in place to help automate moving things from MQL to to opportunity to close, guess what? Your reps aren't going to do it, right? You're not going to have consistent information to allow you to see the conversion metrics, which are probably some of the most important metrics. Same thing with the time metrics. Like if I can move a, for people on the, on who might not have HubSpot or people that work in it, it's like, if I can just go into my system of record and take a deal, right? Like in its infant stage, all the way to a closed one and I do that in a day, guess what? I've just destroyed any like reality around time to close, right? So now I don't have a really good idea of how long it takes for a deal to close, which has so many downstream effects. I think the one thing I talk about the most with my clients is downstream effects. Like the decision that you make today is going to have serious downstream effects. And how do we mitigate against that? And I think for me and like what we're doing with our clients, I'm very, I'm super anal, right? So I've got a tech taxonomy document. That taxonomy document basically governs how we name things in our CRM, in HubSpot. And little things like the naming conventions on how you set up automations and workflows and properties. It's something people don't think about. Like how granular should people get when they're actually looking to put in the proper systems? And I'm not talking about, we don't have to get detailed on setting things up for mass scale, but it's like, like, what are the basic things that they should really pay attention to when it comes to designing something it's a good question. I'd also want your feedback too, but like, I, I would just look at it as like stages, right? Like for founder led sales, perfection's enemy of the good. And most of your time should probably be spent on validating the problem, talking to customers, so on and so forth. At that point, like, do you even need a CRM? It's a great question. Like I would say probably not. Like you can probably get by in a spreadsheet just because of that. It's like, and I consult with enough to get that sense. Once you get out of that and from one to 10 million ARR, I think that is really the place where you start, you really have to cross your T's and dot your I's. Like, I think you have to understand, obviously you have to understand your North Star metrics. I know that, but I don't know that some people do, but like, what is your North Star and what's governing that? And then I think you just need to understand what is the data that you need right? To inform decisions, to predictably affect revenue, right? Whatever that is. So you need to understand what that data is. You need to understand why you're collecting it. And then once you collect it, what are you going to do with it to improve on it? And so I think that in turn starts to govern like some of your hires, right? Like if you hire, how many times have we seen somebody make the wrong hire? They don't even really understand, like, I hate to say what they're doing, right? Like you're not going to, you hire somebody very senior for a position that, has to get their hands dirty and there's friction there. So I think it's just really crystallizing that
that and sitting down with somebody who gets it. Because once you have the, once you have the why, the how, and then like the action after that, it was pretty easy to architect a process that again is 80-20 to begin with. But when it comes to time bound, it's conversion and it's volume, right? Like those are the three things. That's winning by design and then make that up. But yeah. I find like it really resonates with my clients because we mm-hmm. work with a lot of SaaS, but I'd love to hear from your perspective too. I'm still finding the best way to really talk to my clients about this in a way that's not overwhelming. I think that's the thing to really call out in a lot of this stuff, because at least from what I've done, the conversation, because I'm on the sales and service side and yeah. on the marketing side. And, and I do a little bit of the marketing stuff, mainly from like the automation perspective and the emails, but like the connectivity and all the stuff you do with LinkedIn and the ads totally outside of my wheelhouse. But what I've seen is founders and their teams only know what they know, and that's gotten them where they're at. If they knew what they needed to know to get where they wanted to be, they wouldn't need you. And yeah. that's a very hard concept for founders <laughs> and their teams. Like, it's wild to think about. And it's great when founders and their teams realize that and they start opening up and listening it a little bit more. Because if they don't get that, then you run into the risk of being treated like a VA and a contractor rather than like yeah. a trusted advisor and an agency. And so it's you have to figure out very early on, like what is their technical acumen when it comes to these things specifically? They could be a CTO. They could be an engineer. They could be product develop, all that stuff. They could be very intelligent when it comes to their skill set. But a lot of times with technical founders, what I've seen is there is a, a lot of ambiguity or they lack the ability to see the importance of specific types of data for revenue growth over time. They just think like, oh, cool. It's in the system. We can deal with it down the road. But then all of a sudden they try to run a report six months down the road and everything's in like open line text. There's seven mm-hmm. different properties for the same thing. You've got people creating properties and forms and fields and all that stuff. And you don't know what you need to do in order to scale or increase conversions over here or whatnot. So it's doing an extreme detailed kind of technical evaluation, not only on the existing systems, but then on that person you're dealing with. Like what is their exposure to what you're about to take them down? Like what have they done before when it comes to, for example, like in SaaS, if you run like a product-led growth company, you really have to be great at tracking the events and triggers from inside your app. And you have to, uh, you really have to understand what their team's exposure is to events, triggers, the tracking, like how things come into the systems and whatnot. Because oftentimes I've come into accounts where, like I mentioned before, everything is freeform text or a single line text option. <laughs> and it's just, you can't do anything with it. Yeah. Like you, you have to run all these crazy workflows to update and search and find and these filters. And you mentioned it earlier on where like you don't have clean data if everything is just single line text. Because then yeah. it's you can easily change it from a user's perspective. You can go and copy and paste. You can delete it. You can have a capitalized letter versus not. You can have a misspelled and it doesn't get into the systems. And so, but to not overwhelm them is very challenging. And what I've found to help with that is uh, you mentioned it a second ago, which is the North Star, right? So really, you, you've got to be really good at like the discovery process. You have to really dig into what are they wanting to do? Like, where are they trying to go as an organization? Like, we're at two years, three years, five years, six months. Like, are they trying to sell? Do they want to bring on a team? Are they going up market? Like really getting in the weeds with that because then you as a, a systems contractor or an agency coming in to help build the things that are going to support that is you then have to do the work to connect the dots on yeah. what needs to be built in order to enable that. And then the thing that I've, I struggled with very early on when doing these things was getting comfortable with pushing back very early in the relationship with the client. Like 
letting yeah. them know that it's like, hey, look, I'm hired to help get you guys to the next step. We're probably not going to continue to do things the same way we've done it because it's not getting you to this point. And so it's the you have to have that balance of too much pie in the sky design and overly technical explanations and walk all that stuff. So it's like, it can get hard to do. It's very challenging. So like my question for you being on the marketing side though, like how often are you finding yourself having to explain all the steps all the connections, all the processes versus delivering and showing them after the fact, like where is there a process that you follow for explaining like what it is that you're doing or is there like a different way to do it? Yeah, I think from the marketing. So here's my take on marketing today. I just don't think marketers at organizations that are lean can be successful without truly understanding sales. Like I, I don't, I just, that's my take. And the reason is it's because, okay, so at most companies, right? Like once, let's say you're one that's 10 million ARR, like you're usually, it just depends on what your like annual contract value is. But let's say you got like a two stage sales system and you're running like inbound marketing, like the way that you can be successful as a marketer is understanding, like we talked about it before the call. It's just like, Hey, what accounts is the sales team targeting? Like, how can we make sure that they are getting the right leads at the right time to help convert those? Because if marketing is going to be measured, so everybody's like, marketing's got to be measured on revenue, blah, blah, blah. In order for that to work, again, nine times out of 10, you need a sales team that's able to close that. And so anything and everything that you can do from a marketing standpoint, look, there's obviously understanding your customer, talking to your customer, whatever framework you want to use. You want to do jobs to be done. Cool. If you just want to do straight customer interviews, you want to do market research, like you understand the customer, you get the message and you get that message in the market. as you're getting that message in the market, people are going to come to the website, they're going to convert. And then what are they going to do? Unless you're purchasing right there, which nine times out of 10, they're not. Sales needs to be involved in that. So inherently, the companies that I see succeeding are the ones where, look, it's not this like perfect, like sales and marketing loves each other, but there's open communication and there's a shared vision and understanding of where they're trying to go. And so again, like if that doesn't mean demand generation, demand capture, put all that stuff aside. It's just like, hey, if we're going going after a thousand accounts and I don't know, with HR professionals, then like, shouldn't we be as aligned as possible on how we're going to achieve that between the marketing and the sales team? And then how do we use technology to help us do that better? And so very easy. It's like, Hey, like, we talked about lead scoring, right? Like lead scoring shouldn't be done in a vacuum by the marketing team. That would be because there's always, there's going to be, there's going to be misconceptions. And like the reality is, here's an example. Let's say we're doing lead scoring and we want to attribute like 20 points to any C-suite title and we do 10 points, anything like underneath C-suite. But then when you go into your CRM and you look at the closed wand deals and the associated contacts, guess what? They all have like program manager. If you don't have that purview and understanding of the way things work, you're Mm going to totally screw up things downstream, right? And so that's just an example of a misconception of perhaps a marketer that doesn't understand how to run closed loss reports because a lot don't. They don't even know what it is, honestly. And I don't know. Yeah, so that's what I think. Another thing that I did want to say that's interesting is people like you and myself, I think we have our focus areas, but we're very in tune with the rest of the customer facing 
and just customer journey. You and I are consultants, but we almost play agency roles in that we can bring multiple skill sets to a problem and actually do the job of three or four people. Like if you need to, you can set up ads. If I need to, I can set up a sales pipeline. There's a new generation of consultants that honestly overpower agencies because multidimensional. Now that's not necessarily good for our business because I don't think either of us want to play that role, but it's just something that kind of... It's interesting because like I've worked with clients before that when I'm doing my evaluation with them, I'm figuring out what do they need? What have they been doing? What's not been working? How are they getting to X, Y, blah, blah, blah. And they won't tell you everything because they feel that you are this consultant in this box. You're this agency in this box. And then you get in, get the contract, you start working on things. But all of a sudden, there's another part of the business that starts to evolve and change. And that has a direct impact. Like for, So for example, I'm setting up lead acquisition funnels. So like I'm not a marketing expert, but what I'll do is I'll set up different in routes for the leads to get into the system, which then go to the sales team when we have the different nurture campaigns and sales approaches and sequences and whatnot. And so you have those things dialed in to where you know how sales is going to get involved, what the follow-up process is going to be. But then all of a sudden the website changes. Landing page <laughs> redirections are like, why isn't this form that we created put over here? Like, oh, we had this other SEO website company come in and revamp things. I'm like, you got to communicate. That stuff is connected. So I think the single point solution contractors is this slowly going away. Like you have to have the ability to communicate about other parts of the company and like be able to transfer the meaning as to why it's important that that's there. It's not siloed activities and that space of that one to 10 million ARR, like that's where it's most vital because that's going to set up the growth habits and systems and programs for downstream growth. And I've seen so many go-to-market strategies fail because they're not taking into account what the impact a website change has on sales or an email campaign has an impact on existing customers for success or changing the location of the chat bot on a website has on their support team's ability to service their customers or their leads. And so it's like, there's no... Just a form, right? It's like a lot of people will in HubSpot will base form fills, they'll add points for form fills, but then their new forms created and then it's never added. Like, and if there's nobody watching that, you're going to go and your numbers are going to go down. And I don't know. When you're up close, you probably just see probably too much, but you see all the ways things can go wrong. It's more important for... Now, we're obviously coming at this from the perspective of helping them design strategy, but then supporting it all with building the systems out, right? So a lot of contractors, consultants, agencies will just do the front end piece and then be there when their company decides to build it. And so we're coming at it from both angles. And honestly, it's one of the reasons why I dove headfirst into the system side of agency work, because for years, I would be instructing people, coaching people sales approach, sales management and all that stuff, but they were massively hindered by not being able to have the tools in place or their rev ops team wouldn't prioritize certain things for the team. So they were bottlenecked. And so I was like, screw it. I'm going to go and learn how to do all these things. But it's like, you've got to be able to have that visibility and communication cross departmentally to understand the customer journey. And I think from a consultant or an agency's perspective, like you have to add that in to your questions and let them know, like you've got to, you, yeah, you're going to solve a problem in this part of their company, but it's involved in this entire customer process. So having insights as to what that's going to be is super important. And I think it does draw out or elongate the, I don't want to say the sales cycle, but it's like the implementation.
implementation time period of the solution. Like people were talking earlier about things, strategies for growth used to be two to three years. Now it's like three to six months. And they expect too many companies expect magic overnight to happen just because like, oh, we're consultants, we're experts in this field. We're supposed to come in and just like copy and paste these templates that we've carried around with us and money's going to rain from the sky. But you really have to take the time to understand and map out all the different steps and potential interactions that a customer has with the company and then insert the solutions from there and then test and iterate and QA. But like you just said a second ago, what happens when that doesn't work or what happens that breaks? Like if that form stops sending contact data to a specific thing and sales team no longer gets the stuff, like who's watching that? Like it's never a set it and forget it thing. And it's okay to get tactical for a second. Like, is there a process or like a fail safe thing that you put in place for people's accounts, HubSpot or not, that helps people get notified or see when things break? Like, is there a... Yeah, there's a few different ways, I guess. Like you can set up like workflows, right? To like check things like that. I can't, it can get cumbersome. I know you and I I've talked about just setting up like workflows that send a Slack alert if like something is off. You're the one who actually told me about that. That's why I use other for everything. Other <laughs> property. And so that way when it's a selection and there's an other like for a drop down text things where it's like controlled property data, right? And someone comes in, fills out a form and all and the form that they fill out shouldn't have other options. It's in there. And so if there's an other selected, that means it's aired out. And so it's it was just a little catch all thing I, I stumbled upon a few couple of years ago. Where I was like, oh shit, there's a high amount of other options in this report for some reason. So that's an indicator. But outside but, of that, like, what were you going to say? It's also just like, again, when it comes to systems, like I've got one client that's got like 130 forms and what I'm trying to get them to do, which we've talked about before, is just have like three stages of forms, right? Like lead, MQL, SQL forms, have those three, repurpose them. That means you don't always have to create a new form. Simple things like that, again, have different downstream effects. But the problem is when you've got 100 forms on 100 different pages, all these like orphan landing pages. I guess that's the thing. Like when you're coming in that situation, it's a lot harder to undo it than yeah. it's just to come in and say like, hey, like let's think about a form strategy, right? Yeah. Like, then that's where we talk about just strategic underpinnings of all this stuff. It's like, if you don't know, you don't necessarily know. And that's why yeah. it usually does pay to bring in somebody, right? Like even if they're not going to be on your team to like mm-hmm. set that up. Yeah. Um, so actually it's a good example for the hundred forms situation, right? Because it that translates to 100 different properties, 100 different sales team meeting links, right? Like, what does that do a year later? Like, how does that impact ability to grow? Like, I don't know how to communicate it as well, but like, I'd love to hear your take on like, how does that keep companies from growing? Yeah, I think just if you look at like it by person hours, right? Like if all the work that it takes to stand up a new form, to integrate that form, to correct that form, let's just say it's 60 minutes to like two hours, like all said and done. If you multiply that over a year and the hours that are wasted there, and if you put like, a monetary value on that. It's thousands and thousands of dollars of like wasted people hours. And I think to me, that's like the easiest way to like, wouldn't you rather have your team spending their time elsewhere? Yeah. Um, and because I've got an argument from both sides, like when you have hundred different forms, how does that impact 
reporting conversions, measuring efficiency in campaigns? Like how does, is it, how does that affect it? It just, everything becomes more cumbersome. Again, last night when I'm setting up lead scoring, it's like, if I wanted to add all those forms to like a lead score property is, or to assign points to it, it would have probably taken me, I don't know, two hours. Right. And then like, it's not even going to be accurate because you'll always be adding new ones instead of just having like three that are always going to be, instead of assigning three scores to three forms that both serve a purpose in the customer journey, you're now having to extrapolate that and it just, it becomes a mess. It affects data hygiene, data quality, introduces the risk of errors. Like we talked about faulty data, bad data, all those things. So how does it translate though? Cause like, I know what that means, but often 99% of the time when I'm talking to early stage companies that one to 10 million and sometimes even the 20, 30 million range, they've just been doing it a certain way. But when you say it's cumbersome or it's bad data, like what is there an example you can share? that kind of gives people connect the dots on that? Like, what does that actually mean when it's like bad data and how does that affect their decision-making? I think a great example is, so if you have a lead score attributed to just a series of forms being filled out, what will happen over time is if you miss, if forms aren't added to that lead score property and there's no points coming in, you're going to have probably a set of customers that are getting scored improperly that aren't getting passed to your sales team and are getting lost in the sauce. And so what that's going to affect is your numbers, right? And then it's going to affect morale and it's going to affect revenue. Those yeah. are like the three things. And that's like such a simple explanation, but that's the downstream effect of it because then the sales team is like, oh, we're not getting as many leads or like, hey, the leads that we are getting in, they're not quality. Again, that's attributed to the lead score. Then they're not yeah. closing those because you've got this, like you've probably got like a hundred customers that should have been qualified. And so, yeah. And so how do you take someone from having 100 to 150 forms down to four or three? Like, is it complete change of strategy? Is it just a different way of building the form? Is there like hidden form fields that grab? Well, yeah. So that's a great point. Like UTM properties in HubSpot aren't out of the box, which is still so weird to me. Yeah. You've got to add those UTM properties in and then using hidden form fields, you can put those in your form and so you can capture data around where it's coming from, what campaign, what content, then you can basically say like, Hey, I have these three. Again, the way I look at it is just like, I have these three needs for forms, anything that's going to come in as an MQL, anything that's going to come in that needs like a demo. And so let's just say the demo is opportunity. And let's just say the, the download is MQL. Then you have two forms. And anytime you have a demo, right? Like, let's say it's a, I don't know, it could be demo. It could be something where they're raising their hand and showing interest for, then you basically have two forms that you duplicate. You add in the hidden form fields and you use those hidden form fields to basically assign meaning to the form and understand everything, which then simplifies everything. Yeah, because you can see where they're coming from with those hidden form fields. Like that's where the UTM parameters come from. And I think because from my experience, people create 100 different forms because it's technically the same form, just duplicated 100 times. And they're putting them on these different pages and these different CTAs. And they think that's how they need to do it. But with the form option you're just talking about is like if you use those hidden fields, on the form, it grabs those pages as long as you've got the UTM param set up correctly. But that exactly. way you have one form that's placed in all these other different areas, but you, it still enables you to capture the source data. So that way you can see where you're converting the best. Yep. And that's something that I, I wanted to get to a little bit was when your systems aren't optimized, when it's not set up 
for scale. And I feel like another caveat to that is people feel like if it's not complex, it's like it needs for it to feel like it's a big company moving forward. It's like, that's so false. It's ridiculous. I feel like that's how Salesforce like looped everyone in is like, but the biggest problem that I've seen is when you've got all those moving parts, you don't know what to optimize. Like feeding information back to marketing is so important because then marketing doesn't know which campaigns are driving which customers. They don't know which funnels to, because it's like you've got all these hundred forms and it is extremely hard to get like accurate conversion data back to campaigns. And if that's not the case, then you just fall in the hands of whatever Google is telling you to optimize. And who knows if that conversion point is driving the right kind of customers because you're sending them all over the place. You've got A-B tests everywhere. You've got dozens of landing pages with forms all over the place. And so like, I think one of the biggest things when it comes to like taking the time to optimize your backend systems is knowing what to optimize and pour resources in so you yep. continue growing and getting better results. Like I think that's that's one of the biggest bottlenecks I've seen in a lot of companies that aren't doing the upfront work to set up their systems to match their strategy and they don't know where they need to be spending their time. They don't know what to pour resources into and they don't know how to optimize their current system because they don't know where or they don't know where their efficiencies are. Like you mentioned yep. a second ago, if the demo is an opportunity, the companies that autom- like, for example, like in HubSpot specifically, and I know they do it with other tools too, when you automatically create an opportunity before the sales team's ever interacted with them, like that's, if you've got your sales stages, that's different, but it's like you, it's false information being fed back to marketing because then you don't know if that opportunity, are you measuring revenue after the fact? Like it's, exactly. it's, it's tough to know how well you're actually doing in terms of revenue generation if you've got just this stuff all over the place. And I feel like hundred percent. the more time spent up front designing these things allows for a quicker implementation once the design's done. What I, at least from what I found, like if you jump right into a build, right? If you're an agency or a consultant listening to this, or even if you're a business leader listening to this, like you have to spend more time up front designing all of these things and have the patience to do it. Because if you just jump in and just start adding things to a CRM or a marketing tool, you're going to have to undo it most of the time a month or so later because then everything's going to, there's things are going to cross that's going to overlap. There's going to be things that don't make sense. Things are going to be connected correctly. And so it's just having the patience to build these things out correctly. Like if there was one thing, and I know it's not one thing, but if there was like one specific thing to pay attention to and spend more time on when it comes to like redesigning or implementing the systems for go to market, like what would that one thing be? Yeah, I think it's easy for me. You just hit on it. It's build outside the system and then implement in the technology. I think so many people try to like build in the CRM and like without just like sitting down with the team, like whiteboarding it, mirroring it, just like put it on paper so you can edit and fix. Because once it's put in the system, it's so much harder to like make any corrections. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Selling SaaS Podcast. And if you got value from today, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. 